are you this morning? Good, I'm so glad to see you here. You all look so nice and your bright, happy faces looking at me and smiling just makes me so happy. All right, we're glad you're here. Hope you enjoyed Sunday school and we're going to have children's worship in a moment when we get through with Happy Club. Miss Allie Ewing has the Happy Club bag. Where is she? Where? Well, Allie, wave here on the side. Pass, pass the bag up here to Brother Wayne, please, ma'am. Come right here, Allie. All right. It's a stuffed animal. Let's see what Allie brought, boys and girls. What is it? An elephant. An elephant. Allie, why'd you... A little baby elephant. Look at the little baby. The elephant's loving that baby. Why'd you bring this, Allie? Oh, it's got a necklace, too. She wanted me to see that. Anything special about this elephant? Somebody gave it to you, and it's your favorite toy, isn't it? I bet your stuffed elephant, and that's why she brought it, and she's got this little baby here, and... Uh, so she loves this little elephant. What Elephants, um, for some reason, people think elephants have good memories. Did y'all know that? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard that story? Elephants never forget anything. And I have no idea where I'm going with that, but I just wanted to, <laughs> just wanted to share that with you. I, I guess what I can say, boys and girls, is that as good a memory as an elephant has... God's memory and his love for you is even more. You think elephants, they say they, they, they just remember things a long, long time and they live to be really old because it takes them a long time to get that big, doesn't it? But uh, as good as their memory are, is and as much as they can remember, it doesn't begin to compare to God's memory of every little thing about you and his love for you. So God loves you that much. And I know this elephant loves this little baby elephant. Hold it upside down, isn't it? And as much as Allie loves this mama elephant, I know God loves us that much, and he never forgets anything about us. They say elephants remember everything, but God remembers even more. So let's pray right now and thank, you, thank God for loving us and for never forgetting anything about us. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving us and for remembering everything about us. Help us love you and never forget you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Miss Allie. Does your elephant have a name? What's his name? Can't remember? Okay. Well, there's your elephant. You can take her back home. I know you love her. Where's Luke Alexander? Will you take the bag home and bring back something special next Sunday? Thank you, boys and girls. If you want to go to children's worship, you can go with Miss Sabina.
As I mentioned, this is Gideon Sunday, and it's an opportunity for the Gideons to come and, and share their ministry, which I wrote in, in the Beacon this past week. I, I value so much because I've seen the fruit that it bears over the past century. Um, our speaker today is Joey Veal. Joey is from Osceola. He's a member of Holt Baptist Church there, and he told me he was a deacon and chairman of his deacons there at, at Holt Baptist in Osceola. He's a farmer and a commercial roofer, and uh, he and his wife have three children. And he came this morning at 8.30 and shared a testimony from the Gideons, and he's going to do so now. And uh, at the conclusion of our worship service, we'll have ushers at the exits with offering plates if you would like to make a special gift to, buy per to purchase Bibles for the Gideon ministry. Joey, come and share with us a little bit about the work of the Gideons and how we can participate with you. Help me welcome Joey Beal. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. It's so good to see you this morning, and it's good to follow the children because that means most of you are already smiling when you see those children come up here. I told them this morning, I think it ought to be standard in every church that there should be mirrors on the backs of the pews so that when you sit, you can see how you look and see if you need to be smiling or not. But praise God, most of you are smiling, and it's so good to see you this morning. I just want to share a, a couple of stories with you this morning to try to challenge you to come alongside us as Gideons as we distribute the word. And I also want to make sure that you know that I am here to uphold the Lord Jesus Christ and not to uphold the Gideons or the Gideon ministry or any Gideon because it's strictly because of Jesus Christ and his blessing on this ministry and his blessing of your supporting us that this ministry has been so successful and so many souls have been saved. There was a girl who was in her attic, and if I move out from behind this, am I heard or not? I'm, I'm hard to stay in one place, but I'll do my best. She was in her attic playing, and she started to open a chest, and her dad stuck his head up above the attic ceiling and saw her, and he said, don't ever touch that. And it startled her so, and it kind of scared her, and she said, you know, I never touched that chest again and really kind of forgot about it. And her mom and dad had died, and she had gone back to where she was raised to settle some business and to sell the house that she was raised in. She went up in the attic, and there sat that chest that she had not thought about in years. But there was a lock on it. So she called the locksmith and had him come and take the lock off. And as she went through the chest, it was her dad's World War II paraphernalia. Had his uniforms, his medals, letters. And as she dug on through, she found a New Testament that looked brand new. He was given that testament 50 years before as he entered the service in World War II. She said apparently he had never opened it, or it looked like it had never been used. She took it home with her, and she began to read it. And a few months later, she was saved by a 50-year-old copy of the Word of God. I want to read for you Isaiah 55, 11, which is a verse that we stand on as Gideons, which says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. It prospered in her spirit 50 years later. God's word is true. His word does not return void. When we pass out a Bible one at a time to all of those souls that God's loves, God loves, it does not come back void. It does have its effect. It works in the spirit whereunto God sent it because he sent it to our hearts and to our souls. I want to share just a little story that I shared this morning that's one of my favorite little anecdotes and I, I like to use an example and I hope that you will listen carefully. I'm going to speak fast, try to get through this quickly, but I want you to listen and let it challenge your heart. 
I have a friend whose name is Jack Studemeyer. Jack lives in Jacksonville, Florida. Jack has a friend whose name is really Doc Holliday on his birth certificate. And Doc Holliday called Jack and said, Jack, we're going up to North Carolina to the racetrack. They're going to have a big day, going to be signing autographs. And love for you to come. Jack cares nothing for NASCAR. Jack doesn't know any drivers. He could just care less. You couldn't chain him to a chair and make him watch a race. Jack said, I don't care anything about going to that, and you know that. And he named all three other friends that were going. He said, Jack, you'll have a great time. Just come on, get on the bus with us. Well, great fellowship. You'll enjoy it. So Jack gave in and went. They got to the track, and just as they got there on the bus, it began to rain. So the guys were beginning to talk, man, it looks rough. It looks like it's going to get bad. We better get on out and get our autographs and, you know, before it gets really tough out there. So everybody left the bus except Jack. Now, there's something you need to know about Jack is Jack is as big around as he is tall, and he only stands about that high. He weighs 350 pounds, and he wears an Australian hat that covers his girth. And as Jack sat there by himself, there's 40 boxes of chicken down in the front of the bus. Jack looks at that, and he just can't resist. He's on his third box of chicken. Somebody's going to go short when they come back. And this guy runs by the bus and jumps onto the steps, brushes the water off, turns and looks and kind of started a little bit that Jack's there. Jack says, hey, how you doing? He said, oh, I'm great. He said, man, it's really storming out there. He said, yeah, I know. And uh, he said, you hungry? The man said, well, yeah, a little bit. And he said, well, there's chicken boxes right there. If you like one, just come sit with me. I'm eating some. You know, and so they were eating chicken. Four of the 40 gone. So a few minutes passed. The man looks at his watch and he says, oh, my goodness. He said, I didn't realize I'd been on here with you so long. I've been on here 20 minutes. I got to go. So he got up, stuck his hand out to Jack, said, by the way, we didn't introduce ourselves. And Jack says, my name is Jack Studemeyer. He said, my name's Dale Jarrett. Jack said, who? He said, Dale Jarrett. He said, no, you couldn't be. He said, yeah, really, I'm Dale Jarrett. Jack said, you know those guys I told you I rode up here on the bus with? He said, yeah. He said, they're out there in that pouring rain getting drowned trying to find you. You're their hero. He said, I don't know any drivers in NASCAR but you, but I know you because they talk about you all the time. He said, I can't believe I'm sitting on the bus eating chicken with you. They're out there drowning. So he says, well, I hope I find them and see them. And he gets off the bus and leaves. Jack just can't stand it. He puts on his hat, wades out into that pouring rain, finally finds his friends. He said, guys, you're not going to believe what happened. Started telling the story there. Oh, Jack, that, that's not true. Jack, forget it. That didn't happen. And about that time, this booming voice says, Jack, Jack Studemeyer. And they looked up. Dale Jarrett is standing on a big speaker. And he says, bring your friends around this way. And their mouths fell open. Now, I told you that to tell you this. How many of you have been Christians for a year, five years, 20, or maybe even 50? You know what it's like to be with Jesus. You've seen him. He's touched you. But there are friends and family. There are neighbors, acquaintances. And there are those you don't even know. They're out there in the storms of life and they're drowning. They're looking for something. Jack's friends were out there in the storms looking for Dale Jarrett and Dale was sitting on the bus with Jack. But he went out into the storm and found him and said, I found the guy y'all are seeking. I stand here to tell you that nearly 300,000 Gideons across this world as we speak are passing out Bibles to those who are standing in the storm, to those who are drowning, 
because of your gifts that allow us to buy and purchase Bibles, 100% of it going to that purpose, and it saves souls. It does not return void. I want to challenge you to come alongside us today and help us to continue to do that. Keep the blessing going. Thank you for letting me come. I have so enjoyed being here with you today and the other service in Sunday school. God bless your church and this ministry. Thank you.
Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water, such a marvelous mystery. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. you to stand with us as we sing two stanzas of I Stand Amazed in the Presence. Please stand as we sing. Dear Lord, we come to you today with grateful hearts and thank you for all the blessings that you have blessed this church with. A loving staff and faithful members who work every day to share your love to those in need. We pray the offerings collected today will be used to glorify your name and to bring peace to others in our community. Today, Lord, we especially ask and want to thank you and lift up the work of the Gideons. Their ministry is so important for lonely people with no other place to turn. We pray that their Bible ministry will continue to change people's lives, and we ask your blessings on their special offering. As always, we pray for our church members who are ill or are suffering a loss. We pray that you will wrap your loving arms around them and give them comfort that only you can do. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. 
Thank you, choir. And thank you, Jay and Alex, already led in worship. And we're glad Joey Veal is here with us as well to share the ministry of the Gideons. And because of that, I wanted to talk about God's Word today. We've been in a series on theology, and, and the Bible is an important part of that because it reveals to us God and His will and His Son Jesus and just tells us so much. Psalm 119, verses 97 through 105. The sermon's entitled, The Truth of the Bible. And there's an outline in your worship bulletin. We'll follow along in a moment. But right now, God's Word, Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, says at verse 97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. The commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. For it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep thy precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep thy word. I do not turn aside from thy ordinances, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Verse 105, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do you believe that about God's word? It's a lamp for our feet and a light to our path. If you want to know God's will and God's direction, how can you discover that without a light to guide the way? This is what his word is meant to be. Let's pray. Father, let your light, the light of your word, shine so brightly on our feet and on our way that we will know the direction, the speed, and the purpose for which you are leading us. And when we venture off that path, let it be into darkness that will soon draw us back into the blessed light revealed for us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is an outline in your worship bulletin. This morning I want us to talk about the Bible, not only because it's Gideon Sunday, but because it's an important part of our faith and our belief and, and our understanding of God's working among us. You know, we're living in a strange day for the Bible. Even though there are more than 300 published versions in English of the Bible, and even though the Bible is still the nation's best-selling book, it is becoming increasingly evident that most people don't really read or study the Bible at all. And that makes the Bible, I guess, the best-selling, least-read book in all of history. Everybody wants to own one, but nobody ever reads it. Why is that? Why is it that nobody reads the Bible? A lot of folks take the Bible, their Sunday school quarterly, they set it at home somewhere, maybe leave it in the dash of their car, pick it up the following Sunday, and it hasn't been cracked from one week to the next. A woman was wanting to impress her pastor who had come to visit their home one day, and so she turned and said to her little girl, Honey, why don't you go into the den and get that book off the coffee table that Mommy loves so much? The little girl soon returned with the Sears Roebuck catalog. 
Why is that? I think one reason is that the church has caved into those who ridicule the Bible and, and has come to believe those who dismiss the Bible as being historically inaccurate or scientifically impossible. We want to be so politically correct and not offend anyone. And so we sit by quietly while the world ridicules God's holy word. We've seen recently in a sharp focus the double standard that comes when to the holy books of, of the world's religions. Did you know the American military was ordered to burn Bibles in Afghanistan in May of 2009? Thousands of Bibles in Arabic sent to Afghanistan to be distributed among the Afghan people to bring light into that dark world. But they were ordered to be burned to keep them from being distributed and possibly inflame anti-American sentiment. But let a preacher of a small congregation down in Florida threaten to burn a Quran, and suddenly he's the one creating anti-American sentiment. So we can't even treat the Bible with the same reference that Muslims treat the Quran. What am I missing? We're so easily swayed by the voice of critics. Most Christians, many Christians, are, not even, are no longer convinced that the Bible really is God's revealed word relevant for today's life. Well, I believe the Bible is the one and only holy book. Holy means separate, distinct, other, unique. There's no other like it. And I'm convinced of the truth of our text this morning that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is the only light that will lead us out of darkness. And there's several significant factors I want to mention today that support my belief in the Bible. And the first one is just its preservation, just the fact that it has even survived for 2,000 years. We take it for granted. We forget all the attempts over the course of time of folks who have tried to destroy it. From the very beginning of its existence, there has been an assault on the Bible and attempts to, to destroy it, but it has been preserved in the fourth century, Diocletian was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And he had that whole Roman Empire behind him, and he tried to put the Bible in its grave once and for all. He passed all kinds of decrees, had public Bible burnings, persecuted Christians. Certain that the battle had been won, Diocletian erected in Rome a column of triumph on which he inscribed these words, the name of Christians has been extinguished forever. Twenty years later, Diocletian was dead and Constantine came to the throne of Rome and he adopted the Christian faith as the official religion of the Roman Empire. Diocletian was the one who disappeared. In the 18th century, Voltaire declared the age of reason would eclipse the age of revelation and the Bible would no longer be necessary. In colonial America, Thomas Paine made discouraging prophecies about the Bible. He declared it was composed of myths assembled together by fanatics. And yet 2,000 years later, 200 years after Thomas Paine's death, the Bible still lives. Through the years, every instrument of destruction that human wisdom and human wit and human wickedness could provide has been used against the Bible. It has been damned by atheists, exaggerated by fanatics, 
misconstrued by preachers, ignored by laymen, discounted by scientists, and yet it still lives. It reminds me of a, a fence that was built by an Irishman years ago. If you've ever been to Ireland, you see that the land is covered with stones, and they build all their fences out of stones. They stack them up. One Irishman built his fence two feet high and three feet wide, so it was a foot wider than it was tall. When asked why in the world he built a fence that was a foot wider than it was high, the Irishman explained, that way if someone tries to knock it down, it'll be taller than it was to begin with. And that's the way it is with the Bible. The more it has been attacked, the taller it stands. And when I consider the, the perseverance and the preservation of the Bible against every attack that has been leveled against it, you have to believe that it is no ordinary book. It is a holy book. How long will it persevere? Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will not pass away. So it'll be here even when heaven and earth are gone. It is the word of God because this preservation attests to that. Secondly, it's historical accuracy. Because it's rooted in history, you'll, you'll find historical events mentioned in the Bible. Because of that, the accuracy of those events in the Bible is of vital importance. Skeptics have questioned the historical accuracy of the Bible. But research, particularly archaeology, has contributed to a wealth of material that reaffirms the historical details found in the Bible. The amazing thing about the Bible is the more meticulously it is scrutinized, the more reliable it's proven to be. Let me give you some examples from archaeology. Early in the book of Genesis, we read about a man named Abraham who came from a land called Ur of the Chaldees. Well, critics say this Man was a myth, and there was never a city called Ur of the Chaldees. Well, guess what? Archaeologists have recently uncovered a great portion of the city that was designated Ur of the Chaldees. And in that city was found inscriptions on some of the columns of the name Abraham. In the past, skeptics doubted the existence of a people called the Hittites, which are referred to in the Old Testament because that such a people had never been heard of outside biblical evidence. Well, guess what? Now an entire Hittite civilization has been discovered. Skeptics doubted the veracity of Jesus, the story of Jesus healing the lame man in John chapter 5. You know, he comes to a pool at Bethesda, and there's this lame man there, and, and the pool at Bethesda specifically has a detail. It has five porticos. It has five windows behind it. Nobody had ever found such a place at Bethesda. About 40 years though ago, archaeologists were digging around Bethesda, and guess what they found? A pool surrounded by five porticos. It fits the description given in John 5 specifically. I guess one of my most exciting moments came about 10 years ago. Susan, Catherine, and I and some from our church were on a tour of Greece. And uh, something happened I'll never forget. We were in Corinth. And our guide, who was my seminary professor, took me underneath a fence and down a grassy slope 
to some stone marbles, um, mosaics that were in the ground and just exposed under the elements. Grass was growing up, weeds were growing up around them. The mosaics listed the city officials, and one of them, if we have a picture we can throw up, says, I took this photo there, says, if you look at the top left, Rastus, R-A-S-T-U-S, and then it says, for something he did, S-P stands for sua pecunia in Latin, which means he paid for this himself. Strawit is Latin, this stone was erected. So what it says, Rastus, city treasurer, erected at his own expense. Well, what does, that, what does that mean? Does that have any bearing on the Bible? Well, my professor said, look up Romans 16.23. It says this, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. This is the letter to Rome from Corinth saying that a Christian brother named Erastus greets them in Rome. And it just so happens that I have a picture from Corinth of a man named Erastus who was city treasurer of Corinth. In that, I got goosebumps when I saw that, when I saw that stone. Independent verification of an historically accurate account to Paul's letter in Rome. Just a minor detail, Paul lists, just an afterthought. And yet right on the button for historical accuracy, a book that appears to be more historically accurate the closer you examine it is no ordinary book. It is a holy book from God. But what about its relevance? The Bible speaks to people of every century, and the amazing thing is it is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago, the New Testament was written. 3,000 years ago, the Old Testament was written. To those in despair, the Bible gives hope. Billy Graham tells a story of an encounter he had with Winston Churchill in the darkest days of World War II. Churchill sent for him and asked Billy Graham a question. He said, young man, do you have any hope for us at a time like this? And Billy Graham pulled his Bible out and said, yes, sir, Mr. Prime Minister, this book is full of hope. And Billy began reading passages to Winston Churchill out of the Bible. And, and later, as they parted, Churchill told Mr. Graham, thank you, you have given an old man a renewal of faith and hope for the future. For those in grief, the Bible brings comfort. And I've noticed that time and again in funerals when my words sound empty, and folks are grieving. It's one of the most difficult things I have to do. And, and human words are so inadequate. But over and over again, I'll get out the Bible and read from the 23rd Psalm or from 1 Thessalonians or 1 Corinthians. And I have seen an, an amazing transformation that comes over people's lives and faces when God's Word is read and when they penetrate a grieving heart with comfort. To those who are lonely, the Bible gives the assurance of God's presence. Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The verse went with the disciples as they went out and turned the world upside down for the master. It went with David Livingston as he tromped through the uncharted wilds of Africa. It went with Winford Grenfell as he sailed along the forsaken coasts of Labrador. 
And it comes into every heart today that is facing loneliness and fear. And it says, do not be troubled or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Bible is a book. It speaks to all the needs of mankind. If you have a problem, if you have a challenge, if you are hurting, if you are suffering, don't try to go it alone. Get your Bible out and open its pages and find that it has to offer the very thing you seek. It is an ancient book, but it is as relevant today as it was the day it was written. That's why I'm convinced it's no ordinary book. It's the Word of God. Finally, it's depth. Consider the depth of the Bible, which through 20 years has still not been exhausted. George Mueller was a philanthropist. His life was poured out in ministry to the children of England in the 19th century. He read the Bible through more than 100 times. But he said it was fresher every time he read it. Can you imagine reading any book a hundred times and finding it fresh every time you read it? Do you, how many times have you read your favorite novel, your favorite book? There's nothing that remains as penetrating and fresh and, and new as the Bible is day after day. No book has the depth of the Bible. I was talking to someone this past week, a, a relative of Bessie Tift, one of the forebears of our church in our town, and he said she read the Bible through about 20 times. And, and the impact that she had on this community can be seen from the impact God's Word had on her life. Some people have found the Bible, well, boring, they say. Does that mean the Bible lacks depth, or does that mean the individual lacks depth? On the surface, some of our translations may be difficult to understand, and we've chopped it up into chapters and verses that were never in the original languages. Some people assume it's dead and irrelevant, but whenever a person opens it up and delves into the heart of Scripture and learns its lessons and is gripped by its challenge, that person is given a depth of spiritual food that can come from no other source because no other book ever written has been so deeply mined and yet year in and year out continues to produce gems of spiritual truth, as does the Bible. Over and over again, there is evidence to prove that this is God's word for God's people, for God's time. The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with our lack of reading it. But I promise you, if you will use your Bible during the week and open it up and read some passages of Scripture and pray over it and ask God, what is he saying to you in it? What does he want you to change? What does he want you to do? You'll find guidance for your life that you'll find nowhere else. A story is told about a man who was walking out in a desert one day and he heard a voice in a legend. And the voice said, stop and pick up some stones and put them in your pocket. And tomorrow you'll be both happy 
and sad. Well, the man obeyed. He was walking on the beach and he picked up some stones and put them in his pocket. And the next morning he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a handful of diamonds and rubies and emeralds. And he was both happy and sad. (laughs) He was happy that he'd picked up some stones. He was sad that he hadn't picked up more. So it is with God's word. When we draw close to God and read about him in this book and begin to follow what he says to do, we'll be happy with those passages we have hidden in our heart that have turned precious. And we'll be sad that we hadn't taken more. Thank God for his word. It is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It'll provide the guidance you need. You'll just use it. Open it up. Study it. Think about it. Pray over it. Ask God to speak to you through it. And I promise you, he will. Shall we bow? Father, forgive us for not using your word fully as you intended us to. Sometimes we've got to wipe the dust off from one Sunday to the next. Or maybe we use it for decoration on the coffee table. But it is as new today as it was five years ago when we bought it. Father, first of all, convict us of the need that we have to hide your word in our heart. Help us be more faithful disciples. Opening your word and studying its instructions for living to keep us out of trouble, to keep us headed in the right direction, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. You have provided what we need. Help us take advantage of the depth of resources, of truth of hope, of comfort, of strength that your holy word provides. Help us share it with the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody has said that the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. If you need instruction, it's right here. Jesus is waiting. He has given you what you need to hear about him and the good news of the gospel and respond. And now he's waiting. Hymn number 321 is our invitational hymn. I'll be at the front to receive you, professing your faith, rededicating your life, joining this church. Please come while we stand together and sing. The Savior is waiting. Please come.